Sony. Hello, Canada. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. Today's date is March 22nd, 2022. Happy Spring! It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How's it going, my friend? You don't want to know. Yeah. Sadly, <laughs> I think that uh, a majority of Canadians feel the exact same way we do. So uh, let's just get right to it, Canada. We have got a uh, rather loaded up show for you today. On the show today, the CFL has a new equity partner. Canada's military is not operationally ready. The Conservative Party of Canada now has eight candidates for leadership. And the Liberal NDP, don't call it a coalition. I can't even say and more because, boy, Canada, that's going to fill it up today. Where do we start, friend? Well, let's just knock off the CFL real quick here because that's what the new equity partner is trying to do. Yeah, and um, I mentioned in my rant a couple of days ago that Lewis and I managed to crank off about five or seven minutes of a show before our app said, "Um, no, you're not. And that was actually where we had started then. So so you had sent me an article, actually it was Sunday morning, just shortly before we started that show, that the CFL has the new equity partner and they pissed me off already. Yep, Genius, uh, what is it, Genius Sports? I think that's what it's called, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're not very genius. Um, they, <laughs> they, uh, they want the CFL to ditch three downs. And uh, many Hall of Famers and coaches and obviously fans are not happy about it and are urging the CFL to not do that. I am one of them. I love the three downs on a field the size of the CFLs. If we go to four downs, we may never see a punt again. See, that was always my criticism with American football, too. And, I mean, I like the NFL, and four downs works because of the the talent they have. But I remember saying when I was younger that, a player could fall forward four times and make a first down. I mean, that's exaggerating a bit, but you're right. Four downs on a Canadian field, you would likely never see a punt. No. And I mean, for those of you listening from the U.S., um, and and there are several, um, according to our analytics, uh, there's about 15% of our listeners are Americans. So let's let's just let them know. The CFL field is substantially larger than the American field. It is 15 yards wider, and it is 10 yards longer from goal line to goal line, and our end zones are 10 yards deeper. So our field is quite large, um, and uh, so there's a lot of room for players to go. And if we had four downs, I mean, it's this isn't this this isn't the NFL. Like four downs in the NFL are practically required, um, but in the CFL, three downs is enough. Well, for sure it is, and I mean, I don't know if you want to call it the purest in me, but 
I love the CFL being a three-down game. That's obviously what I've grown up with. And I just, I think the fans, that's the one thing that makes the, the league, well, not the only thing, but I mean, that is the biggest thing that makes the CFL unique is the three downs. And, you know, the, you and I both follow the, uh, the Let's Talk CFL Facebook page. And every time that subject comes up, that page just explodes with commentary because CFL fans love having three downs. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I don't know if people really get. I mean, the, the two games, the American game and the Canadian game, really are fairly different. Like, it's on the surface, they look the same, but they're not. I mean, a quarterback is very, very important in the NFL. In the CFL, it is this, the quarterback can be the reason you win the championship because you have to be more accurate in the CFL because the game is a, it, there. It's more of a of an air game in the CFL as opposed to a running game in the NFL. And so your quarterback has to be accurate because you've got two chances and then you're punting. And it's uh, if they make it four downs, they've really pretty much just gotten rid of the only reason that the CFL stands out from the NFL and why there's as many fans in Canada of the CFL as there is. You, get, you make it four downs and, well, you know what, we might as well just start watching the NFL. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and it's it has been known as a passing league, and absolutely, we've got some brilliant quarterbacks who we've had throughout our history who are able to drop that football, like, you know, threading the needle. And it's, uh, it's amazing to watch. That's for sure. And I remember back when, uh, and you still have the t-shirt radically Canadian when that advertising campaign was going on. And it did actually explain a lot of the, the uniqueness of the Canadian game. And I don't know, maybe we need to start broadcasting those YouTube feeds for those commercials again, so we can, help the fans and uh, help the management understand what makes our game, well, our game. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Anyways, I think we've spent enough time on the CFL. Let's get to what uh, what's making everybody in this country angry this week. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, we'll, 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 we'll save that for last because we'll save the best for last. Um, because... Oh, no, I just meant that every other topic we've got to talk about is making oh. me angry. So. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, the Conservative Party of Canada leadership race, it's uh, its really turning into the, well, Conservative Party of the Laurentian Triangle leadership race. Now, for our listeners in the States and across the world, and even for some in Canada, the Laurentian Triangle, and we talked about this a lot on our show, but for people who aren't political nerds like you and I, if you take a map of Canada and you draw a line between Ottawa and Montreal... Montreal and Toronto, and back up to Ottawa again. That's what we refer to as the Laurentian Triangle. Now, there's it's not a very big piece of real estate, but I would say, well, it's roughly about 50% of Canada's population lives within that triangle. And who else lives within that triangle? Well, six of the now eight candidates for leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. We've got Pierre Polyev in Ottawa, Jean Charest in Montreal, they are the two front runners. 
Patrick Brown in Toronto and Leslin Lewis in Toronto and Roman Babber in Toronto. And we've got Scott Aitchison, who is in Huntsville, Ontario, which is kind of right on the line of that triangle in cottage country in Ontario. And the only quote-unquote outsiders, and they are outsiders, uh, Mark Dalton in British Columbia and Joseph uh, Bourgo in Saskatchewan. Other than that, everybody's in the triangle. Yeah. And I just want to ask anybody who's not named Pierre, why are you in there? Yeah, well, I understand why Jean Charest's in there. He's in there to uh, to split the votes, and I'm actually getting more concerned about that as we go along. Um, but you're right. I mean, I don't understand, like, uh, Joseph Burgold, from what I've read from him, is, is essentially in the race to promote the ideals of the Freedom Convoy. Well, Pierre's already doing that. Mark, and Mark Dalton apparently is a single-issue candidate as well, and I can't remember what what his issue is. And Scott Aitchison wants the unity of not only the Conservative Party, but of all parties. So, okay, there's three already who have no chance. Yeah, and then there's the other... I mean, most of them are, are people who don't... I mean, most of us have never heard of. I yeah. mean, the... Uh, I mean, Leslin Lewis, like I said before, yes, smart woman, Um and uh but she's been an mp for what four months uh i mean she the, i mean i i was shocked at kind of her gall to want to be leader of the party without even having been an mp yet um and i'm still kind of shocked at, at it but i mean the other thing is is that she is a social conservative and social conservatives will not win a national election in this country. No matter how much you might agree with them, they won't win because Canadians won't vote for them. And that includes most conservatives. The The thing is, is that she is going to get the Larry Elder's effect, which is he was the uh, a black man running for the Republican Party in California and the media labeled him as the black face of white supremacy. And she's going to get the same thing here in Canada because of her social conservative views. Yeah, and I agree with you that she's a smart lady, although, and I'm not always into promoting other podcasts, but she did an interview with Andrew Lawton where she didn't come off sounding all that smart at all. I was actually quite shocked. And by the way, Canada, we have reached out to, well, five so far of the eight contenders for interviews. None of them have gotten back to us yet. So we will reach out to the other three, and hopefully somebody will talk to us. But yeah, she's... Uh, I think that, that some of these people are, are just in the race to try to boost their own profile nationally. Uh, but... I don't know how well that's going to work. Like, I mean, at least Leslie Lewis now is an MP, and she, like we talked about before, she would probably be a very good cabinet minister, and maybe, you know, the next time around if she's an MP for, you know, two or three terms, yeah, you bet, fantastic, let's do it. And as far as some of these newcomers, I don't know who speaks French well out of any of them except for Pierre Polyev and Jean Charest, and... Well, you're going to need that if you want to be prime minister. 
Yeah, and I mean, we talked about John Sherry just briefly about how he's he might be there just to split the vote. And I mean, when he first joined the race, I didn't understand. And when you said that he might be there to split the vote, it makes a lot more sense. He's there as a disruptor. But the thing is, is who's going to vote for him? Because he he gets virtually no support in conservative circles. That's what I've wondered, too. I mean, he's going to have to sign up uh, a ton of memberships. And I can't remember who the commentator was, but he had, and hit by his mouth, he said if Jean Charest can sign up a, a thousand members a week or maybe, or... Yeah, I think it was a thousand members a week for him. Then maybe he would have a chance, and I think that's true. You pointed out on previous shows, he's not well liked in Quebec. He's not well known in Western Canada, and he's not well liked there. And those who do know him in Ontario don't like him. So what the hell? Well, and I've seen polling for uh, in the Conservative Party, like Conservative Party members. And he, he he's like in the single digits in support. So I don't understand how, even if he's there just as a disruptor, how he's going to achieve that. I mean, he's already come out and said he won't, he won't reverse the ordering council uh, firearms ban. He, he has in the past come out in favor of the long gun registry. In fact, I believe he was the premier of Quebec when, when, uh, where, we, where he wanted to keep a Quebec only gun registry. Yep. Um, he, uh, he is, has no interest in getting rid of uh, carbon tax. He, he's, he's a liberal and he's proven himself to be a liberal when he was the liberal premier of Quebec. Yeah, that's true. I mean, to be fair, the Quebec Liberal Party is sort of a federalist coalition, so you could almost compare them to the BC Liberal Party, except they're a lot more left-wing than the BC Liberal Party. But, yeah, I I've, I've knew you'd catch on to his, uh, his talk about the order in council on the, the long gun ban, or the rifle ban, I should say. He's, uh, he's all for it, and he actually talked about that with on one interview I heard as a selling feature that he was... Yep, he said, well, you know, we've already got this long gun ban in place, and so we just said we should keep the registry for Quebec. Uh, and I just thought, how does this dude think he's a conservative when uh, when he, I guess maybe he wants to be Aaron O'Toole on steroids and just outright turn it into a liberal party? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know, and I don't know. I'm, I, I still fail to see how he's going to disrupt things. Well, you know who will disrupt things, and now uh, Patrick Brown, he's now uh, got Michelle Rempel-Garner as his campaign co-chair. So if Pierre oh, really? Polyev thinks, yeah, so if Pierre Polyev thinks he had a lock on Western votes, oops, Michelle Garner, Michelle Rempel-Garner, sorry, has a lot of supporters in Western Canada. Obviously, she's a Calgary MP. She's very popular. I don't know why she's hitched her wagon to Patrick Brown, but yep, just announced yesterday. I'm kind of speechless. Right? I uh, I didn't know what to say either. I thought that's some really high-profile help for a guy that doesn't have a high profile. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm actually quite surprised by that. Like, like, beyond surprised. Like, I don't understand it. 
I don't either. I mean, I know that some of the statements that she's made in the last six months or so, you know, sort of exposed a little bit of possibly going woke. So maybe that explains why she would be with someone like Patrick Brown, who's more centrist. But yeah, I thought if she was, I actually thought she might consider a run for leadership herself. And she decided, nope, Patrick Brown's her man. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm shocked, man. I really am. I I don't understand that. I mean, it's she's. I always thought I was kind of put her in the same camp as Pierre Poiliev. I would have up until about, like I say, about six months ago when she, I remember she made a a video and talked about her her cisgender white privilege, and I was like, what the hell? Who are you? And yeah. yeah. So. I mean, I, I like we've talked about her before where we've, you know, where I, I've talked about how she has played the victim card before right. um, where she uh, where she'll say, oh, that they're only saying that because she's a woman or uh, or she talks about how it's so much harder for a woman to be in politics than it is a man and all this kind of stuff. And because they get. You know, they get called all kinds of names, and, and, and I, I I remember, you know, I'm old enough to remember Harper being called Hitler, um, which yep. is a little worse than being called a bitch. True, um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, she's I, that's one of the reasons why I said that I don't think she should run for leaders because, because of her... Um, the victim card, the, the uh, you know, angle that she's been taking in the last few years. Yeah, no, yeah, and, and you're right. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess good luck, Mr. Brown. Now, we'll only stay with us for another another minute or so. Do you know anything about this uh, Mark Dalton? I know he's from B.C., but I don't even know where he's from in B.C. Nope, haven't got a clue. Okay, yeah, I had never heard of him until this race and then it just said that and all i've been able to find out about him is that he was a bc liberal mla then he became an mp with the conservative party and remember as we said before the bc liberal party is not really your your father's liberal party so it's not a stretch to go from the bc liberals to the federal conservatives but that's literally all i know about him so we have to do some more research on him so, well, he is born in Germany, and he is the uh, conservative MP for Pitt Meadows near Vancouver. Oh, there we go. I love Mr. Google. Thank you. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but I don't know anything else about him. And I, what I did just tell you is what I found from Google. So I, I don't know anything about him, and I think that's all we need to say. There <laughs> we go. <laughs> All right, so let's spend a few minutes talking about Canada's military. I'm dismayed to report that officially our shelves are bare. We have nothing else we can give to Ukraine to help them in their fight against Russia without depleting our own reserves to the point where our armed forces would not be able to utilize any capacity if we needed them. We have capacity? Well, not anymore, and uh, obviously we, we didn't to begin with because... Our shelves are already bare. Yeah, our shelves were bare already. Yeah. I mean, it's we've talked about how it's pretty much a crime uh, the way that our successive federal governments have 
treated our military and that, and I'm sorry, but that does include Harper. Oh yes. Um, they, they have starved our military of, of funds. They have starved our military of equipment. I mean, we're still using handguns from world war two and they were slated for replacement. And, um, guess what? We just did the very Canadian thing that we have always done and that is postponed the new equipment which means we have postponed the new handguns yeah but we're gonna but we're gonna send as many guns as we can to the ukraine yeah and i i really hate to have to correct you because our handguns actually aren't world war ii pistols they're world war one pistols <laughs> oh. oh forgive me i was i was only off by 20 years that's right <laughs> And uh, I have to correct myself from in a previous show. I had said that Canada had decided to buy some F-35 jets. Well, nope, nope. That was Harper's decision, which uh, Trudeau had canceled. I had that part right. But we actually haven't decided on what jets we are going to buy yet. We no. just we are waffling back and forth between the F-35 and the Swedish jet. And I can't remember what it's called now. Uh, Saab Griffin. The Griffin. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. And... Here's what bothers me. Uh, well, there's lots that bothers me. One thing that bothers me is that we had a deal in place. We got we canceled it because that was Harper's deal. Uh, now we still haven't made a decision. They had an apologist on, I believe it was Vashi Capello's Power and Politics, who had said, well, you know, procurement is, is difficult. It's a long process. This just in. Germany decided to upgrade their air fleet and made a deal to purchase... 35 f-35 fighters oh done yeah and um i mean they canceled the fighter jets what six years ago yep and we've had a contest going since then and we're going to end up buying f-35s because it's the most advanced jet in the world it's the one everyone is buying so we're that's the one we're going to end up buying. I mean, why would we get Saab Grippens when uh, the only like no the U.S. doesn't fly it, uh, you know, Britain doesn't fly it. It's it's not it's not a plane that is flown by our closest allies, and we're going to get F thirty fives at a much much higher cost than what we would have gotten gotten them for six years ago. Well, that's right. And what's really sad is that, yes, we definitely need new jets because we're flying, well, Australia's used F-18s. But it's, where do we start? Do we start with, with jets? Or do we maybe, you know, get some submarines? Maybe an icebreaker? Or maybe... A supply ship. Supply ship. Or maybe do we want to, you know, recruit more soldiers? maybe buy some arms for those soldiers. And even at the point now, it's I'm hearing that we are looking to buy weapons from the U.S. or the U.K. to give to Ukrainians. And I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but we kind of have to get some stuff for ourselves first and maybe look at the Arctic and say, oh, yeah, we might want to have more than just the uh, handful of Northern Rangers up there in case Putin decides to send some soldiers over. 
I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. We I don't know where to start with with our military because it, it's been so so ignored by. And you're right. Got all governments of all stripes. So where do we start? Well, I mean, I mean, look. Mulroney didn't Mulroney had an order in for a whole bunch of helicopters. Correct. And then uh, Gretchen was elected, and he immediately canceled the order for all those helicopters. We proceeded to have lots of airmen die because those helicopters we had that were supposed to be replaced kept falling out of the sky. Ah, oh, the Sea Kings. And we're still replacing those helicopters today, I believe. We are. It, it is taking that long to replace those helicopters and at a much, much, much higher price than we would have had the contract that Mulroney's government signed been kept. And the same thing is happening now. When our F-35s, or when our CF-18s, sorry, when our CF-18s start falling out of the sky, we have one government to blame, and that's Trudeau. Yep, that's right. And already I put it on him that we had a snowbird fall out of the sky last year or two years ago? Two years ago, two, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. it's pathetic. But all right, we're just past the halfway point, Canada, and let's talk. To be, yeah, to be fair though, that snowbird uh, hit a bird. Um, that wasn't because the plane was old. It was just because uh, it had a an, a an in air impact with a with a large bird. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So, but the snowbirds are also they're well past their lifespan too. And, um, that's, that's a, a jet that needs to be replaced as well, even though it's, you know, lower priority, but still it, it does need replacing too. Yeah. Cause they're all from the sixties, I believe. Fifties. So. Oh, fifties. Oh, even better. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> all right. So, so yeah, let's get on to some other topics here. <laughs> well, there was a deal signed. Well, I guess not signed, but agreed to in Ottawa last night and we actually posted a story on our Facebook page last night about it. Turns out it is true that the Liberals and NDP have made a deal, but we can't call it a coalition for some reason, but it is a deal that will keep the Liberal government in power for three more years, supported by the NDP. Now, the NDP is uh, promising to support the Liberal government on all confidence motions, which which means money bills or apparently bills to pass the Emergencies Act, because that was apparently a confidence vote. And then in exchange, the NDP is going to get such taxpayer goodies as pharmacare and dental care, and who knows what else to be determined at a later date. Yeah, and this is something that I couldn't be more angry about. Um, we currently live in a country where our healthcare is socialized. And because of that, our surgeons are limited to one day a week of operating. They're only allowed to, to perform surgeries one day a week. And that is across the country. That's not just in BC or just Alberta. That is across the country. 
And it's because our healthcare system cannot afford more. And that's why you're waiting 18, 24 months for hip replacements or knee replacements, or you have to wait six, six to eight weeks for cancer surgery. And that's, and that's if you tested, like if your biopsy was positive for cancer, you have to wait six to eight weeks to have that operation to get it out. I mean, so now they want our dental care to fall under the same umbrella? Are you kidding me? Just wait until the government puts a limit on how many crowns a dentist is allowed to perform or how many root canals a dentist is allowed to perform or how many cavities a dentist is allowed to fill. Because if you don't think that's coming, you're insane. Because it will come. It's in our healthcare system now. Why wouldn't it be in our dental program as well? You're absolutely right. And in, uh, when you were talking, that actually reminds me, I have a, a tooth that my dentist and I have talked about perhaps doing a root canal and just putting a post in there. I think I better to get just get that done next time I see him. Because you're right, that's exactly what's going to happen, is, is the government will ration dental care and they will ration... Uh, pharmaceutical products the exact same way they are rationing our healthcare services and what pisses me off about about those two in particular pharmacare and and, and dental care is that 80% of Canadians already have private insurance dental coverage and private pharmaceutical coverage through their benefit plans through their work or through their union or other other sources but they already have that coverage and in, i'm even talking about the lowest income canadians because almost every province's social services program also covers dental care and pharmaceutical care so what yeah, the hell i believe the actual number is 90 percent of canadians are covered in one way or another so whether that's low income being covered by their uh, social services program or whether it's the 80% that are covered through uh, uh, extended health benefits through their own employer or through their spouse's employer or they're covered under because they still live, live at uh, because they're still dependents, their parents uh, employers. So why are we taking something that is already successfully being done in the private sector and putting it on the taxpayer dole. It's only going to get more expensive. It's only going to get rationed. And I am telling you right now, there will be a day and it won't be very long when you call your dentist and say, I have a cavity and it needs to be filled. And the dentist receptionist is going to say to you, we don't have any openings for fillings for six weeks. Or we don't have any openings for root canals for five months. Or we don't have any openings for X for this amount of time. Because all you're going to be able to get on a regular basis are cleanings. Because, and even that, who knows? 
how much that's going to get rationed. Well, yeah, because it all costs. It's all going to get rationed. I mean, I don't understand how anybody can possibly support this when they know how bad our healthcare system is and how broken our healthcare system is. I mean, we have one of the worst delivered healthcare systems in the world. That is not like a subjective thing. It's fact. If you have to wait 18 months for an operation, your healthcare system is garbage. Yep, and ours is. And you're right. I mean, when that Commonwealth study came out and uh, studied 11 countries' healthcare systems and Canada was 10th on delivery, well, um, that says something. And now they want to model our, our pharmaceutical care and our dental care the same way. And that's just the beginning, Canada. That's just the, the first two items on the list we've read with what the NDP wants. Yep. So, I mean, it's just... It's it's just mind-boggling how anybody could possibly think this is a good thing. Yeah, and I I actually mostly agree with Candace Bergen, uh, who is the interim leader of the Conservative Party, when she said, you know, Canadians did not vote for an NDP government. And true, we did not. And while we're not getting an NDP government, we're certainly getting NDP as part of the government, which was not the deal that Canadians wanted. And I honestly don't see a win here for Jagmeet Singh. I know he thinks that he's getting a win by getting more and more of your tax dollars into bloated, inefficient, stupid programs, but I don't see a long-term win for him. I don't know, man. People like they're getting their stuff for free, so it might be good for him. Well, our younger generations do, and I know I'm starting. To, I'm I'm showing my my fifty year old age by talking about the younger folks. But when they did Second uh, Street, no, not Second Street. It was Three Three Eight Canada who had done polling, and this was before the last election, uh, so last summer. The eighteen to thirty four year old crowd was overwhelmingly in favor of voting NDP, and we're talking it was in the forties percentage, like it was really high. So, yeah, I mean, our school system's done its job indoctrinating the youth because they're voting NDP. Yeah, my kids tell me all the time, like, whenever they've had uh, mock elections at school, when they have, when, when we have real elections, it's like 80 to 90% of their class votes NDP in the mock election. No. Contrast that to when I was in high school in the uh, mid to late 1980s when our school did a mock election and we actually had people who were assigned to all the different parties and did the campaigning as those parties. The Rhinoceros Party won overwhelmingly every grade in our school. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember having... Uh mock elections when I was in school and it would be pretty pretty evenly split between conservatives liberals and then a small percentage of NDP would he actually you know followed the general voting habits of most Canadians um, today 
what scares me is that these people, these these kids, are going to be the ones voting in ten years. Yeah, and and it's like, and then you've got NDP parties wanting to drop the voting age to sixteen or even fourteen. Um, and you know the only reason they want to do that is because it'll benefit them. It's not good for society. It's good for the NDP. The kids are idealistic, and they're going to vote for a utopia. And the only one, the only party that's that's proclaiming that they can give us a utopia is the NDP. And so they're going to vote NDP. I mean, kids are dumb. They've they like to be honest. Like kids are dumb. They haven't lived. They've never paid bills. They don't pay taxes. Like they, they they don't have a right to vote because they have no idea what real life is. I think you nailed it there. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and unfortunately, because of how our governments have turned into our babysitters. There are many, many adults that don't know what real life is. Yeah. You know, I think you're actually hitting on something right there. It's, I mean, the kids are used to getting everything for free because their parents provide it for them. So you're right. They don't have that responsibility of actually having to pick up your own bootstraps. And I don't think, they're the kids for sure, and I give them a pass for that. But a lot of adults, I just don't think they understand that someone has to pay for all this crap. And unfortunately, those someones are people like you and I that actually have to work and pay taxes. Well, and I mean, you and I talked about this at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, we were talking about this before the pandemic. We were talking about this when Trudeau was running, you know, $50 billion uh, deficits, right? And uh, and then the pandemic hit, and the spending got ramped up and totally and completely out of control. And we were talking about this all through the pandemic. How you do this? You you can't print this money like this. You can't give just give people money. You can't do that and expect there to be no consequences. And that consequence is going to be hyperinflation. Well, guess what's happening right now? And we're paying the price. Like, yeah, you want your free money. You want your free health care. You want your free dental care. Well, guess what's going to happen? Life is going to get so unaffordable that you'll have no choice but to have the government pay for everything. Well, and they'll be happy to have that happen. And it's actually, I mean, there's tax time now, Canada. So those of you who have yet to file or yet to uh, complete your returns, boy, there's going to be an eye-opener there because our family has just done ours. And, well, there's, of the five of us that are here, I don't know about my other two kids, but the, uh, the five of us, only one is actually getting any money back. And... I took the opportunity when one was complaining about it, and I said, well, then quit voting for left-wing governments. I, I actually have to pay a small amount. My wife is uh, 
pretty much dead even, so she's getting nothing back, but she's not paying anything. Our oldest has to pay because she took on a second job because her first job couldn't make her enough money, and her second job apparently didn't take enough taxes off, so she has to pay. So, well, yeah, only, only one so far is actually getting anything back, and... Yeah, they were all shocked because they all were told, oh, you, you know, you always get a tax refund. Well, <laughs> no, not us. No, and that's something that, that's happened to my wife two years in a row. Her company didn't take enough tax off. And uh, last year, despite all the RRSP contributions that she made and all the write-offs that she's got for work, uh, she only she only got like a couple hundred bucks back last year and she should have gotten, you know, a few thousand this year. Uh, her company did it to her again. And it, even worse than last year, even though she complained to HR and, uh, and everything. And, and, um, uh, she had to make a ridiculous amount of RSP contributions to make sure that she didn't have to pay anything. I mean, it's, our our tax bills are, are just getting bigger, and with the price of gasoline the way it is and diesel, I mean, the, the, the amount of money that the government is making off of the gas taxes right now is astronomical. And inflation is something that governments actually like because what it does is it makes the, uh, the taxes... Uh, collected go up because the price of everything goes up and the taxes are presented to the prices. Yep, that's so right. If you, if you don't think the government like, doesn't want inflation, you're crazy because they do. They, the government makes more money. California, I believe, has set a record last year for tax revenue during a, a pandemic. Because of the inflation that they that they've had there. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, and that's going to happen here because of bracket creep, which means you know as as our incomes go up to combat inflation, while well, we get into higher tax brackets. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so back to our coalition on the government governing side of it here. So Justin Trudeau now will have three more years to implement his climate change agenda and his anti-oil and gas agenda, and his Build Back Better Great Reset agenda with the green light from Jagmeet Singh. And this now will allow Justin Trudeau to build his legacy, which I'm guessing is going to have something to do with climate change. And all I can say is, Canada, you better buckle up because it is going to break this country. I mean, financially. I mean, you see the deficits he's been running, and really now he can just say, hold my beer. I am I am scared to death to see where we go from here. Yeah, as am I. Um, I mean, I've been having these discussions with friends and with family lately where I'm just thinking, where I said, you know, I don't know, part of me is thinking maybe we should just cash out. Just cash out and get the hell out of this country before things get worse. Well, and I've actually entertained that idea as well. And I thought, well, if it wasn't for my family situation, I probably would have moved to Mexico years ago already. But, you know, I mean, I've 
got my wife who uh, said, well, you know, hey, we're close to getting, you know, becoming pensioners, et cetera. I'm like, well, what does it matter when it, when it's not going to buy us anything? Like I'm, uh, I'm ready to be done, but I think more so than to be done with Canada, I think I'm just ready to, I'm, I'm ready to become a full-fledged Western separatist. Yeah, it's getting there for me too. I mean, it's. I mean, we were we were there kind of after the last election, um, but uh, you know, I'm. I don't know what to say. I mean, it's just I don't recognize my country anymore, um, and uh, and I'm really, really terrified. And I, and I mean, I'm not over exaggerating. I'm terrified. about where this country's going right now. Well, if, we've, if we give Justin Trudeau a blank check for three more years, and that's effectively what we're doing, because all he has to do is just pat Jagmeet Singh on the head a few times and say, here you go, give you this little crumb, give you that little crumb, make the provinces figure out how to make it work, which is exactly what they'll be doing with the health care. Yeah, because they do that with everything. Well, exactly, yeah. So I, uh, I can't even predict where he's going to go with this, but... Really, Justin Trudeau has to be salivating right now because he now effectively has the majority government. Instead, I mean, it was already de facto because he knew the NDP would support him, but now, now yeah, he's got official. it. Now it's official, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, uh, like you, I mean, we, and we've said this before when we started this show because we are two Canadians who love our country and can't stand the direction it's going. And, I just don't see it getting better. So uh, it's hard yeah. now to say separation isn't an option because it might be the best option. Yeah, it might be the only one. I mean, we, you, I mean, we've been doing this show for what? Four years now? Four years? Yeah, I think four years now. Yeah. I mean, we've been doing this show for four years and the state of our country has only gotten worse during that time. Yeah. It really has, and God, I just don't know. I mean, you there. There's this deep sense to you know we want to fix it, but it's hard to to uh, to fix it when we've got that tiny little Laurentian triangle who makes all of our decisions for us, and unfortunately they've got the population and they've got they're in their their own little echo chamber. So I actually believe that the folks. who are in power and the elites and whatnot, I, I actually believe that they honestly believe that Canadians think like they do. And they couldn't be more wrong. Well, are they? I Votes. Yeah. Yeah. They do get the votes. Like, yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's true, right? I mean... we say that Canadians don't want this and we say that Canadians don't want that, but maybe we're the ones that are wrong. Maybe they do want it. I mean, they keep reelecting these, these morons. So maybe, maybe it is what Canadians want. Could I mean, be. really, really the only party that doesn't want any of the crap that's happening is the conservative party. And they only get about 32 to 34% of the vote. Yeah, that's true. So, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, 
I, I, I don't want anybody to think that, you know, that I want my country to break up. I don't want my country to break up. I don't want people to think that I want to leave my country. I don't want to leave my country. I have the maple leaf tattooed on my shoulder. I'm a Canadian. I love my country. I am ashamed of my governments. I'm I'm ashamed of the direction our governments are taking this country. I'm ashamed of a giant portion of the population who continue to vote for corruption and for people who keep taking our country in the in in a in a detrimental direction. And it and it's I, I don't know how to save this country now. I don't know how. And it breaks my heart because I do love my country. I have been to everywhere in this country except the Maritimes. And I'm going there this summer. And I'm just, I, I just, it, it just breaks my heart because this is a beautiful country with beautiful people. But God damn it, it's being destroyed. I don't think anybody in Canada could have said it better than you did just right there. Those this last minute, that's exactly how I think millions of Canadians feel. Is exactly what you said. I mean, we love this country and can't understand why so many people are letting it go downhill. Not just letting it, encouraging it. Yeah, absolutely right. So, right, Canada, we'll wrap it up there. Um, understand that we love our country. We know you love our country. And we've just got to figure out some way to get it back on track. So, so thank you for joining us, Canada. And a special note, we actually uh, learned something new about our, uh, our Anchor.fm podcast app that uh, people can send us voice messages in. One listener did, and you know who you are, sir. Thank you for that, and uh, thank you for not sending a hate message. Because, uh, well, we can leave the death threats on email. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, thank you for joining us, Canada, and we will talk to you soon. Until then, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in B.C. Good night. Good night, Canada. <laughs>